0: We we should wrap up things that we like, like,
1: like food. Hi cheesy people, before we get started I'd like to thank our two sponsors. Scrumptious Reads provides us with a place to record, but it's also the best place to drop large amounts of the folding stuff on interesting cookbooks, books talking about food, drinking coffee, drinking wine, drinking spirits, or just eating generally. They also have lots of interesting courses all the time, so check out their website for more details. Fatgrape.com.au is an online wine store selling interesting wines you will not find at your local chain bottle shop. We talk about a different wine every week, but don't trust my judgement. Hit Stacey up at fatgrape.com.au and ask for the best wine for you. Finally, you can support the show by going to bezopods.thetshirtmill.com.au and buy a cheesy shirt. Enjoy the pod. We we, we should
0: rap up things that we like, like, like food. That's what? You bugging at death, you know it! We're gonna be like the Partridge family, but with food! You like food, don't you? Got any white bread? Yes? Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. Dude. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in here. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free. What's so special about the
1: cheese maker?
0: As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. Get out of bed for
1: eating crackers.
0: How about some more beans, Mr. Haggard? I'd say you've
1: had enough. Um. G'day, Stacey. Welcome
0: back. Hey, Pizzo. How you going? How are you? I'm well, mate. Really well, thanks.
1: I like it when you come in. We get two wines. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got? It looks like uh, one of my favorite places in the world.
0: Yeah, I've brought in two wines today. Um, The first is Terra di Granito, which is a a new winery on the Granite Belt. Uh, First vintage was 2013, and they source fruit from various locations, um, two vineyards in particular, and then uh, make the wines at the winery. And the second is Girawine Estate, which is one of the older wineries on the Granite Belt, um, originally planted in 1974, and uh, up until about six years ago, operated under the name Bald Mountain Vineyards. Okay. And uh, and then they were since purchased by Steve Messeter and his wife, and rebranded as, as Girawine Estate.
1: So one of the questions... Well, one of the things we were talking about last time is the... Um the tension, I guess, between growing varieties of grapes that everyone understands. So yep. your, your cab salves and your pinots and whatever mm-hmm. versus growing the right type of grapes for what your actual soil type and climate is. Yes. So how are Queensland wineries going with that? Are they still trying to shoehorn varieties in where they shouldn't?
0: Um, I guess it will really depend on, on a winery-to-winery winery basis because yeah. there are there are some, uh, and a good example would be say Golden Grove in, uh, in Ballandine that have gone uh, very much on the alternate variety path, focusing on things like uh, De Riff and Tempranillo, Graciano and, and Mediterranean varieties, yeah. and they don't do too much mainstream, I mean they do have a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then you've got guys that are, are still doing, you know, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, Shiraz, and those very sort of more common uh, or commonplace wines varieties. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's something that I think for, you know, each individual winery, they have to have a look at their, their own particular microclimate, their soil, and make a decision as to what they think is going to work best for them. Yeah. Um, because certain spots within the Granite Belt will be better for some uh, than others, and There are some that have persisted with these mainstream varieties but not had any real great success. And
1: is the granite belt sort of... I guess, is, where, where, is the, where are the best places to grow wine? Is the Granite Belt the only really good place to grow wine in Queensland?
0: No, no, no. We've got two major regions. You've got the Granite Belt, which is, you know, sort of three hours uh, yep. southwest. Cold
1: winters, hot summers. Yep,
0: um, 830 metres above sea level, uh, getting up to over 900 in some parts. Um, very, very big temperature fluctuation yep. between day and night. And the other area is the South Burnett, um, which is... Um, sort of northwest of, of Brisbane, um, quite a large S area Out, out that there. area. Yep. Yep. And um, yeah, I used to
1: do a run out through that way and you go past quite a few. Well, surprising, like, it used to surprise me how many wineries I went past. Probably
0: the most famous one from out that way would be Clovelly Estate. Yeah. Um, which, uh, which do a, a great number of wines, um, some mainstream varieties, some alternate varieties. Um, Some of the largest plantings of a a very rare variety called Saparavi are in the southern Burnett region of Australia. Um, And it's a great variety that originates from Georgia in Europe. And it is uh, a unique grape. It's one of 30 in the world which is known as a a tintura, meaning that it has a uh, black skin and also it has anthracyanin, or the the red pigment, in its actual flesh as well as the skin. Um, so it's considered a black grape, not a red grape, and um, as a result, it has a very, very long hang time, a very, very long ripening period, and it makes a very big, voluptuous style of wine, which Clavelly do one, and it's very, very good. Yeah, so that do sounds like really nice wine. <laughs> down, the, um, down, down in the granite belt. Um, but the reason the, uh, there's so many plantings out there is after you pick the fruit, the Saparavi vine... The, gray, the actual leaves turn fire engine red and yeah, right. pharmaceutical companies harvest them for a particular drug that's in a lot of everyday medicine.
1: Oh, right. So and it's got a double use. It's got a
0: double use. And so the largest plantings of this variety are in that area of Australia. And um,
1: So yeah. I've never really thought about the black versus red thing. So what's, what's the most well-known variety of a black grape?
0: Alicante Boucher out of Spain. Um, it's not well-known like, say, Shiraz is in Australia or yep. Pinot in Burgundy, um, but it's used primarily as a blending grape in Spain. Um, in the uh, northwest part up above Portugal, there's a little area known as Bierzo where they make Menchia, which mm. is a red variety. has wonderful medium-bodied flavours and a bit of spice, but it lacks colour. <laughs> so the Spanish winemakers got Indeed. quite clever about this and took a little bit of Alicante Boucher yeah chucked it into the blend, gave the wine wonderful, vivid purple colour without really changing the flavour of the wine too much.
1: There there is that thing um, where uh, you... Yeah, like I get it with Pinot where it just looks weak. Yep. And it, it does affect my brain, like... So the fact where I taste it and it tastes nice, and I go, oh, that's nice. But you're surprised that it <laughs> yeah, tastes Yeah, yeah, nice, but it's, it's a surprise. I'm, I'm expecting it to be sort of like a, you know, like someone's chucked red and white in a bottle and swirled yeah. it around a bit. So. And
0: I mean, the reason for Pinot being that way is it's a very thin-skinned variety. Yeah. Uh, has a very, very thin skin. It's so you're not prone, getting much of that. Prone to sunburn, and it doesn't like too much water, and hence why it's considered the holy grail of winemaking is because it's the most finicky vine in the vineyard and um, incredibly temperamental but because of those thin skins you don't get a great deal of color whereas say Cabernet Sauvignon which has you know got lovely color uh out of Italy is another great example where it's a it's a red grape but the 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 fruit itself when you put it in the crusher it's iridescent purple you know it's like the most wonderful looking you know you just want to dive in and sort of have some straight out of the uh, out of out of the tank yeah even though it hasn't even actually done anything yet uh-huh. um but uh yeah it's it's a it's something that a lot of people don't know that there are uh, there are 30 black varieties out there and then you've got your red and your white varieties and then there's some that are considered pink varieties yeah as well
1: okay there you go and like i was um since the last time we were talking about mm. doing a little bit of reading about grapevines, like. For some reason, I always thought they were a fairly water-intensive crop, but they're really not, are they? I guess which is why they're good in the Burnett out and out in the mm.
0: out
1: in the Granite Belt because you, you're looking at pretty low rainfalls.
0: They're um the the actual the actual vine itself, so Vitis vinifera is its technical name, is a part of the rose family. It's part of the Vitaceae family. Yeah. So vines are, are technically under the rose family. And that's why if you go to, um, say, for example, Champagne or Burgundy or most places in Europe and a lot of vineyards in Australia too, you'll find rose bushes planted at the end of the vines, end of the rose. And it's like the uh, canary in the mine shaft in the old days. It's an early warning system because the rose plant will actually display any disease pressure a week or two before the vine dies. Oh, right. So, for example, if you're going to get a, a bout of downy mildew, powdery mildew, botrytis, these sort of things, the rose will display the uh, s- the symptoms first. Yeah. Which means you can jump in and uh, and obviously spray or at least manage the the issue, um, saving your your crop. And then, uh, of course, you know things go back to normal or in a perfect world. And so, hence why we put roses at the end of the uh, end of the vines. Um, vines themselves are an incredibly hardy plant. It takes a great deal to kill them. In fact, freezing them is one of the only ways you can kill them. Um, if you go to Champagne in the wintertime, you'll see 44-gallon drums in the vineyard burning to stop the vines from freezing. Yeah, in um, in the ground. In the ground. Yeah, yeah. because uh, if you freeze a vine, you'll kill it forever. Yeah, you can cut one off at the base. Nah, it'll come back. You can, you can, you know, burn them. You can, you can, you know, do a great deal to them, and they will just keep coming.
1: And that's why I think a lot of my small holding books and stuff that talk about that say you know if you buy an old farm and they've got an old grapevine there you're onto a good thing because all you got to do is basically clean it up and prune it back and pretty much and you'll probably get something out of it
0: yeah if you prune it back to take the two thickest canes prune it all the way back in the winter time to those two canes put them onto the wire come spring that thing's going to go nuts you'll see buds and leaves appearing everywhere it'll send off its tendrils and come summertime you'll have a a fully functioning perfectly healthy grapevine again um I, from my viticulture days at Rosemount, a well-watered, well-fed vine is a lazy vine.
1: All right, so it's almost like you got to treat them a little bit mean every you now and again. You really
0: do want to keep them sort of on the it's... edge of death's door for every single day of their life to produce great fruit.
1: And um, I, you know, I really should have grapes grapes in there because that sounds like my sort of um, your, your style of my farming. style of gardening. You know, I can just I can just basically forget about them. It is. Do, it do, is. do they need help being established?
0: They do. Um, in the early days, when you first plant them, you'll you'll have them sort of planted. And we used to use when I was a viticulturist, the old uh, you remember the old like uh, one liter milk cartons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now yep. it's all plastic, but the old milk cartons. No, you
1: can. So I, I've just been I've been making a bit of soap lately. Yep. Um and like they still sell custard in those yeah. um paul's do sell a one liter milk in the old cartons oh yeah um but yeah they're a lot harder to find and uh juice mm. the the thing about the juice is though and it's like lined with that foil mm. it's not just cardboard so it won't sort of rot out
0: when you first plant a vine it'll take sort of the first three to four years of its life for it to become fully established. Okay. and actually produce a crop of fruit that you want to make a wine from. In its early days, obviously, you know, your plant's going to be a few inches tall. Yep. So you need to protect them from the wind. Okay. You need to protect them from frost. And uh, so we'd put them in like a sort of a milk carton with a string running up to the actual fruiting wire. In, so you'd already have your trellising sort of there. Yep. String running up because of course the vine's going to, you know, follow that string. string yeah. And you're kind of leading it towards the fruiting the fruiting vine. Once it's tall enough, obviously, you'll start to work it onto the actual fritting wire itself and then onto your top trellis wire. And the vine will be able to sort of a bit more resilient and uh, it'll be able to handle the elements a bit more. But in its infancy, they are quite quite delicate. And
1: I guess there, there'd be other places that sell more advanced um like advanced plants or does it really help just to put it in small and, and establish you it in its own soil? You know, people,
0: guys like lumber have got a fantastic nursery system down yeah. in the Barossa. Um, there are guys that, uh, you know, literally have uh, full nurseries just growing particular varieties and you yeah. can, you know, if you were looking for a variety for your vineyard, you could contact them and see what they've got. Um, you, you'll be getting the vines in, in, in sort of a, a quite a young stage still. Yeah. Um, they're not going to be completely, you know, self-dependent at all. Um, and it'll still take quite a bit of work from you to, to, to nurture the vine, make sure that the you know the ground has got enough nutrient, enough moisture. moisture. You, you don't want things like salinity getting uh, you know becoming an issue. And so, really, as a viticulturist, a lot of what you do, apart from actually you know picking the fruit and making a wine, is the other eleven months of the year, you're you're managing the earth. Yeah. You know, you really need to have a very healthy uh, healthy soil. Yep. You know, you want to promote things like a cover crop. A cover crop to promote insect activity you know managing uh, your salinity levels making sure that the vines are getting water but not too much yeah um, and you know uh, really really you know caring for that that piece of dirt so that the vine in itself is going to get the best out of it
1: but you were saying that it doesn't necessarily need a super um, fertile lovely Tilled soil. It can
0: work in quite hard. It will grow. The, honestly, one of the best soils for vines is volcanic. Yeah, you can you can put it. You could plant vines in vol- volcanic soil. Yeah, it will work through it. You know, you go down to the Eden Valley and there are these rocky, you know, sort of outcrops and things, and it's a very very difficult soil to grow in. It's a very mm. hard soil to grow in. A vine's root system will work its way, its way through, through and break it, it up, it and will get into get, the It cracks. will get through it and find its way down into these subsoils. Seeking out nutrients, seeking out water. Um, one obviously, one of the really big part is you, you want to manage the. Um,
1: even even when you're not doing anything, Julie, you still manage to do something.
0: The the pH levels of your soil are, are very very important. You yep. don't want it to be too alkaline and you know too too acidic. Um, and you know the different soils will handle different vines better. For example, if you go over to to Germany and Austria, you know the great Riesling vineyards of the world are planted in almost solid slate. All oh, right. And they'll work their way through, through it. Through just through the layers. And that slate and that's that that minerality in the soil comes through in the wine. It's got yeah. blistering acidity. It's so bright and so so lively.
1: So should I would I be better off almost planting or three different varieties and seeing what works the best certainly and
0: that's how queensland really started i mean you go back to the 1920s a lot of people wouldn't realize this and the terra di granito wine that we're about to taste first terra di granito means uh land of granite in yep. italian and the the early pioneers of agriculture in the granite belt region of queensland were italians you know you look at the puglisi family at, uh, at Um and so a lot of the guys planted these vines not really knowing what would work for the area, whereas in the Barossa, for example, they'd already had Riesling and Semillon and, and, and Shiraz planted in the 1800s and it was working for them. Yeah. So in Queensland, we really did go through and sort of plant a bit of everything to see what would work. And, of course, the mainstream varieties that were around, your Shirazes, your Cabernets, your Sauvignons and your you know, Pinot and those sort of things, went into the ground. We didn't have too much in the way of alternate varieties yet. Um, James Busby originally brought out, you know, some, some sort of, you know, uh, 300 varieties on the first voyage to Australia, but planted them in the botanical gardens. And they weren't exactly a nursery in, yeah. in Sydney. You know, Shiraz eventually went very mainstream, but some of those early varieties that came here probably never went any further than, than so Sydney.
1: Do you grow,
0: I've
1: never really thought about it, do you grow grapes from seed or from cuttings? Cuttings. Cuttings? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess. Um, how much do wineries protect their stock? Are they like like, I guess now that it's a lot of wines uh, owned by big businesses, it's a little bit more. Um, like that's I your, mean, if you're that's up for your it, we can,
0: we can fly to Burgundy and try and do a Claude La Roche run and steal a few cuttings. When <laughs> we make it back on the plane alive, uh, it'll be uh, brilliant. Uh, but uh. Um, it's, it's not so much a well-kept secret because we have different clones of different varieties. And, yep. you know, some of the most famous clones around the world, like the, uh, the Dijon clone that came out of France, which is known as 777. It's, yep. a, it's a Pinot clone. It was discovered by a, a professor at the University of Dijon, hence its name. And that has gone world, worldwide, you know. Um, Chardonnay in WA is a very particular clone known as the Mendoza clone, and it's sort of started in, in Margaret River. Um, but that, that is, is, you know, available if people want to try and plant it. It's not something that's, you know, kind of well-kept
1: secret. I guess the, the, the plant's only half the story, isn't it? The, yeah. The soil and the water and the you can take Claude Delaroche, you know, yeah.
0: and, and I've got a... The Sumer ones I showed you last, last time, yeah. they have the Claude La Roche clone in them from Burgundy, which is a highly sought-after clone, but... You know, you're not going to reproduce the Claude de la Roche yeah. Pinot because it's not the same soil, it's not the same topography, it's not the same climate.
1: It's the it's funny the way things spread around, like um you know, I'm riding to 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 Good Pork and we have the Wessex mm-hmm. saddlebacks in Australia. We do. But they don't have them in England. They've got saddlebacks, but they're a crossbreed between the two dominant strains because that because England's such a small place and they sort of got, they got crossed over sort of thing. So Australia is actually the last place for that. Um,
0: that, that breed of pig.
1: Yeah, that, that sort of, uh, and I think there's been a few other places. I think there was some in America and places like that. Um, and they're breeding back up out of that thing and trying to get it back into England. But I find it really funny that the place that the pig came from originally
0: no longer has it.
1: No longer, you know. They're having to go back to a colony, and it's our sort of isolation that's <laughs> that's allowed us to keep that, you know, to keep that breed, Come
0: on, mate. Please help us out. We need some of that back, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's something that uh, varieties all over the world have almost gone extinct for various reasons. Fiano almost went extinct in, the, in Italy in, until the 1980s when there was a massive earthquake in Campania. Uh, thanks to that earthquake, the Italian government poured millions of dollars of viticulture into the area to promote people getting back on their feet um, and, you know, working again. And so the Fiano variety went from the verge of extinction to flourishing in the matter of a few decades. Now it's come to Australia. We've got 100 hectares planted, and over the next sort of eight to ten years, that variety's going to grow here as well. Um, you know, Teraldigo in the north of Italy was almost extinct until a young lady named Isabelletta Foradori brought it back from this sort of very meagre grape variety that was used primarily in blends to making it a wine that's now on the best wine lists in the world and highly sought after. And hence she's called the First Lady of Teraldigo.
1: One more question, and then I'll ask you about this white because it's very nice and goes well with that salami. Thank you, sir. Um, so if you're growing from cuttings, yep, can you crossbreed wines? Yes,
0: you can, absolutely. So, uh, for example, you could take a existing vineyard and say, for example, you planted Cab Sav, and for whatever reason in your particular area it just didn't work. You yep. know that you weren't getting the the ripeness that you were hoping for. You know um, the variety was struggling. You could you could take Cabernet Sauvignon, you could cut it down at the at the root, and then graft. Sauvignon Blanc onto it. Yeah. Because they are related. Okay. You can only craft vines that are within the, within family. the family tree. Now, that said, you know, we have obviously uh, taken varieties. It, originally, we started with three, we now have 1,263 worldwide. And, um, you know, we've used the certain varieties to uh, crossbreed and create new varieties or clones. Um, sometimes a variety will, will mutate as well. We yep. had uh, Sauvignon, which started in, you know, Tramina in northern Italy, um, mutated into Tramina in Germany, which is now... A, it's, it was a white grape mutated into a red grape. Oh, wow. And now we have two varieties, Sauvignon and Tramina. They are one and the same, but thanks to the mutation, they're now different. You know, so it's, it's something so, that's... Um, so
1: so to, if you, if you um, graft outside a family... Is it like less successful or does it just always not work? Or does it, it like one, you know, go from one in two to one in a hundred sort of thing?
0: It really depends. It's not usually successful. Yep. Um, and you'll have to start again pretty much.
1: Okay. But that uh, existing rootstock still grows? Yep. Mm.
0: It'll just start again, you know, sort of at zero and start producing a new vine.
1: Yep. Can you grow multiple? vines off the same root slot
0: yes definitely
1: yeah um, but you, is it a little bit like like you can do it with citrus but you end up getting from what i've heard because um, i looked at it for my parents I, I bought them a lime and a lemon tree and they've got a very small yard mm-hmm. at our beach shack at curtis island but i was like you know you, you really want to have a lemon tree and a lime tree agreed um,
0: and that's really you're really kind of defeating the purpose of if you wanted to graft and I mean you could in theory put Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Sauvignon on the one rootstock, mm. but you're only going to get half the crop. Yeah, what's the point? You might as well you might have, as well just have, one, well and have one, and 50, one and one and one and Fifty rows of Cabernet and then yep. next door have fifty rows of, of Sauvignon Blanc. You know, provided that the climate and the soil and everything there is suited to those two varieties. Mm. You know, the Eden Valley, for example, can produce Sauvignon Blanc and uh, you know, guys like some Hallettes use it a lot in their poachers blend. But Cabernet Sauvignon, even though it's related, just doesn't work there as yeah, well. Right. It's too cold. It's too you know, the the soil's really not really suited to Cabernet. And so, you know, we we had an example where we had a Cabernet vineyard planted in Eden and we just cut it all back and grafted Sauvignon Blanc onto it. And that now goes in the poacher's blend from St. Hallett's, which you'll find in the bottle shops, you know, the white yeah. blend, and it's great little wine. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've drunk that one yeah, before. Yeah, it just wasn't suited to the original variety. So.
1: so tell me about this one, because as you know, I'm not the massivest fan of white wine, but that's got a real nice, I don't. I can't, I can't pick what it is but there's there's something about it that's a little bit different
0: for those listening it's a 2014 terra di granito viognier now viognier is a variety that originates from the rhone valley in france and it's not something you'll see planted heavily in the granite belt um, not at all and peter here has has taken a, a really classic variety and we've made two barrels only so wow. one barrel of brand new French oak and one barrel of seasoned two-year-old French oak. So that means it's had wine through it before. Yeah, and okay?
1: blend together at the end.
0: And then we blend them together. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, this one was made natural ferments, which occur in the actual wood itself. And uh, we, we, we don't filter filter the wine um, prior to bottling. So the skins break down, stay in, in there. And you really get this wonderful sort of dried apricot, yellow citrus. Yeah.
1: But yeah, it's a, little, it's a little bit more citrusy. And, and there's a
0: little bit of salinity, just this lovely fresh kick on the finish. Yeah. And the acid, as I said, this is 830 metres above sea level. It's cool climate. It's the second coldest GI in all of Australia yeah. behind New England. And, you know, people, that's the mistake they make with Queensland wine is we think of Queensland and we think it's hot. Yeah. You know, we think of Bundy Rum and Forex and the beach. And people forget that the Granite Belt, it's on the border of the New South Wales, you know. And it, it is it gets really, cold. really cold. It gets really and, cold. And, um, you know, that oh, is the... where that beautiful natural acid in this wine comes from, which keeps that lovely freshness. And, you know, for me, I love this wine because, forgive me, Peter, it doesn't look like Viognier, varietally. Um, Viognier is usually quite heavy, quite full-bodied, quite flabby and oily and really, yeah, gonna say, really it, sort of dry. It, it normally has nose. that...
1: Um... You know, you swirl it around in the glass and it you can sort of see the line where it sits until it uh, sort of drips down the side of the glass.
0: It has viscosity. Whereas this wine, it's fresh, it's bright, it's lively, and I could just drink a bottle of this on its own. It's going to go great with shellfish, you know, sort of Southeastern Asian-inspired foods, yeah, cheeses yeah, like anything, this. Anything
1: with chili, I think.
0: Yeah, you know, any sort of shellfish is going to be great with this, you know, fish and chips. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really fun wine, it's a classic variety made in quite a modern way um, and uh, I, I really really love it, um, had some great success with this around town and um, something that I think people you know, would be really, and Peter and I were actually, I had Peter Wise the winemaker in the trade a couple of weeks ago and we, we went and showed this to about 11 venues on one day and the common response we got from people was just wow. I haven't had many Queensland wines or I haven't had one for eight years. And the last one I had was crap mm. or I've never had one at all. And they were all shocked at how good these were and went, Jesus, that's really pleasant. I wasn't expecting that. And that's the thing with Queensland is you do have to be a little bit selective about, you know, not everyone is going to be a winner.
1: I would have thought that like anywhere, like it's, we, we probably don't make as much wine as Tasmania and Victoria. Like, what's the what's the breakdown?
0: South Australia, New South Wales would probably be the leaders. Western Australia, then Victoria, possibly then Tasmania, and then Queensland. Mm-hmm. Tassie only has 200 wine labels, but only 20 wineries. Yeah, right. Believe it or not. Whereas McLaren Vale alone's got over 100 wineries in one region. In one little that's region. That's one little region yeah. out of South Australia, so... You could only imagine what sort of the numbers South Australia produces on a world scale. We're not even in the top ten. Yeah, you know, Italy's first, China's second.
1: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I, I was watching a show about um, I can't remember what it was, but they're talking about cider and they're talking, um, you know, how much, um, you know, how much cider the UK made and how much cider France made, and they said. China, in one year, planted the same amount of apple trees as there was in the whole of the UK. Mm. In one year. Now, the problem was they planted two varieties. So, you, you know, and basically what they were saying was that what they were trying to do was dominate the, um, the uh, concentrated apple juice that a lot of the cheap cider makers use for their cider. So, you know, they were basically going to wipe out that part of the market. Um so what's what's the Chinese wine market like? Is it similar? Is um, it sort of trying to There is a
0: lot of bulk wine being made. Yeah. A lot of bulk wine, a lot of bulk juice. There are some very, very good wines coming out of uh um guys like Great Wall mm. and they they have the ability to do they've got varieties over there that we don't have. And they've got some mainstream ones as well, Cabernet, Cabernet Family is is is, is there. Um I must admit, it, it, it will take a while for their wines to really take off here. Um, Grace is one that has already done quite well in this market. Um, and some of the best restaurants around town, places like, uh, for example, Saki, um, will have them. Yeah.
1: Because um, the interesting thing about the eight, the way um, the Asian markets tend to do things, and they did this with cars, like if you look at Hyundai, they came in with a very cheap sort of almost like a knockoff of what a car should be. I drive a Hyundai. Yeah, well, but the thing is over time they've actually they've actually learned how to make a car. The and last three
0: years they are making great cars. Yeah,
1: they've they found their own character. And I wonder whether that's what they're going to get into with winemaking, where they'll just go, let's just try and flood the market with cheap and nasty. And then the, as they learn they'll they'll try and find their own voice.
0: At the moment the biggest issue we face with China is counterfeit. And oh a lot right. of this bulk juice is there for that reason. Just, um, just
1: ripping off brands.
0: Brands, you know, somebody was caught trying to counterfeit ten thousand bottles of Jacobs Creek. You know how <laughs> why? they got. You know, do you want to know how they got caught? No. They misspelt Australia. They left the eye out. No way. Dead set. Now I don't know why you'd want to counterfeit ten thousand bottles of yeah, Jacobs Creek, but somebody found a way to do it. Now. You know, there was another example in New York where a guy at an auction said that he had 2,000 bottles of 1947 Domaine Romani Conti Pinot, which is, you know, one of the greatest wines on the planet. And probably fairly rare. Goes for about $50,000 a bottle. He had 2,000 of them, apparently. (laughs) Now, the owner of DRC jumped on a plane, flew to New York, stopped the auction and explained to them, in 1947, we only made 600 bottles. Bottles. <laughs> so how does this guy have 2,000? Now, somewhere in that 2,000, there might have been one or two legit. Yeah, right. But there was 1998, friggin' good knockoffs in there, but the juice inside would have been garbage. Yeah. Garbage. So the, 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 And you the... wouldn't have known until you'd bought it, got it home and pulled the cork and went, I've been had.
1: So would have you known that you had been had or would have you think it was nah. just... It, you would have just thought, thought the wine had turned.
0: Probably. Oh, I don't know because the juice that would have gone into these bottles would have been I mean, pretty raw. Yeah. Pretty damn young. Like, Versus the nineteen forty seven Burgundy. It's, this
1: tastes like a two thousand and fifteen Shiraz Cab.
0: Hang on a minute. This looks strangely similar to that Yellowtail Shiraz I had the other night.
1: I don't know whether I, I could enjoy a bottle of. I don't think I could enjoy a hundred dollar bottle of wine, to be honest.
0: Well, I think you could, if I gave you the right one.
1: Okay, I'll rephrase that. I could probably enjoy a bottle, $100 bottle of wine that someone else had given me. I don't know whether I could enjoy dropping $100 on a bottle. And, and we talked about this last time, how I think that my palate has developed um, uh, certain preferences.
0: Of course. You know, like likes.
1: It, it likes it likes a young wine. I've had a couple of, um, I have to say... The, the, the stuff that we've been getting for the podcast, I've been enjoying a lot more than the wines I've got at home. they But um, I have been out a few times and had an older wine, like a 2010 or a 2009 wine, and haven't enjoyed it as much.
0: Um, I don't think that's really old enough to so, to, show... to,
1: to warrant being called an old wine? Um, no,
0: not yet, not yet. I mean... Um... Wines, when they hit eight years, can, can can change, and it really does depend, again, vintage, vintage conditions, climate. 2002, Kunawara was extremely cold. So was, well, actually, 2002 for most of South Australia was really cold. Petaluma brought out a Hanlon Hill Riesling that year, and if you'd had a bottle in 2003 when it came out, the acidity in that thing would have been like brushing your teeth. It yep. would have been off the chart.
1: So basically, everyone had to just it?
0: a lot of people did and they were lucky if they did because then a wine sometimes can go through what we call a bit of a dumb phase where it sort of shuts down on itself and you might have been unlucky with a couple of these 2009 and 10s because they're six and seven years old respectively where they're in that sort of dumb phase. in
1: between yeah
0: and then around the eight year mark these 2002s just sprang to life again and all of a sudden they started taking on some little secondary notes that that bright green lime started to turn a little bit brown, candied lime, and the acidity was there, but it had gotten a bit sherbet by this stage. And there was, you know, this almost like marmalade y, come quart aftertaste. And there was a kiss of sweetness, but it was fruit sweetness, not sugar. Yeah. And the acid was the thing that kept this thing driving. And you're just tasting this wine at like eight, 10 years old, going, that is magnificent. But if you'd bought one in 03 and drank it, yeah. you probably would have <laughs> you been would have just bloody it the disappointed. Sink. And if you'd had one any time in between that stage you probably would have been slightly disappointed and so and again this really comes back to the wine the vineyard and all these sort of things because you can go and buy a ten dollar bottle of wine at dan's now put it down for eight years and i guarantee you in eight years it hasn't improved at all it's probably gotten worse but that's because it's been made very quickly with you know minimal oak and bulk bulk formats you know the vineyards were probably quite young and that wine wasn't built to be Aged. It was built no. to be drunk in the first three years of its life.
1: And, and I, I have a, oh, I don't think it's much of a theory. I think it's fairly well known that Australia makes very good
0: Absolutely. Young, we, make, we make wine to be drunk now. Yeah. And we make wine, we do make wines to be salad, but those are where you start getting up into that sort mm. of 50, 60, 100 plus price category. Um, there was a movement in the last few years, last couple of years by sommeliers, and I was part of this, where we were saying to winemakers, guys, we really need you to make wine that we can drink now, because when we're in a restaurant situation, you know, Besso and Julie come in and they sit down for lunch and they they order a bottle of wine. Now say this thing has had a heap of new oak and it was, you know, it, it spent two years in oak and it's been released, it's three years old now, but that wine is closed. And unless I've decanted it hours earlier, it's gonna still look closed in the glass. All you're gonna taste is wood, Acid, alcohol, the fruit's hiding somewhere in the back, but it's really not revealing itself yet. And you're gonna walk out after spending, you know, fifty or sixty dollars on this bottle and going, you know what, I'm really disappointed in that. I feel a bit underwhelmed. Yeah. Because we don't have time to buy wine and lay it down in a cellar, and especially in a restaurant situation here, mm. where storage is an issue.
1: Well, and right? the other thing is if you look at the hospitality industry, how many restaurants are around for twenty years?
0: Well, it's, they're few and far between.
1: You know, with the same owner, uh, same with the, chef, with same the, family, s- yeah. you, you know, like, yeah, wh- where's the continuity? Like, it's a little bit like politics, and, and I always complain about this is if you're in a four year term or a three year term, well, what's the incentive to plan 20 years into the future? Yeah. Like, you're way gone by then. Yeah. Like, you, you set a plan into motion. If it comes to fruition 20 years down the track, you're not going to get the credit for it. Let's the, w- the guy who's there now is going to get the credit Let's for it. Let's
0: won the clock back a couple of months when Quirky was going for re-election and he planned, you know, saying he's, I'm going to do this massive subway system and it's going to be ready mm. by 2020. And went, hang on <laughs> a minute, Quirky, you haven't won the election yet. Yeah. How can you promise this? You're not even going to be here when it's finished.
1: The, the funny thing is every time I drive through the... Um, uh, every time I drive underneath the... I've got, I've got a couple of books that... Um, uh, what they call alternate you know alternate history right. and uh, there's one in particular where that the power just stops you know all electricity just stops working so you go back to sort of medieval times but with the knowledge of what you've got now so every time I drive through the tunnel I think geez these would make fantastic wine and cheese cellars. <laughs> if all the power went off look at all the cheese racks you could put in underneath the the mm-hmm. cross city tunnels it'd be fantastic Light might be a someone bit of a problem. England,
0: someone in England did that with old World War Two bunkers.
1: Oh, if you watch um, cheese slices, like some of the best cheese places in all through Europe is like old railway tunnels, yep. old bunkers, all those sort of, you know, big concrete structures mm. that are buried under a lot, a lot of earth. So they're very, very, very stable in terms of temperature.
0: Some of the best wine cellars in the world, champagne. But Cut down in limestone, way underground, it's so cold, there's no humidity, cons- constant temperature.
1: But with the, with the cheese, you also get a very, um, you get a lot of very interesting bacteria and mm. flora, you know, microflora growing in the air in those sort of damp, cold, um, closed-in situations. So, yeah, maybe one day.
0: Now, um, I guess the big the, issue that we face in Queensland do you and know, with Queensland wines...
1: Do you know what? I actually think I like the white more today. Wow. And that's, that's amazing for me.
0: Um, is there's a stigma around Queensland wine. And uh, there's a stigma amongst... Uh, uh, it's a, a bit of a generational thing, I will say that. And um, my time working at a, at a club with, with a, a very set age group of members proved it. Where they think that Queensland doesn't make good wines. And unfortunately, you know, there's there's some out there that have gone into that mass production and really, really just sort of pumped out a lot of cheap Queensland wine, which is, has turned a lot of people off Queensland wine. And the ones that, you know, like I said, some people have said to me, oh, I had one seven years ago, it was horrid, and I never went back. I never went back. <laughs> and, you know, we've got guys like this now, Territi Granito, Girawin Estate, Bellandine, you know, Ravenscroft, Golden Grove, Tobin... Mason pyramids road that just make wonderful wonderful wines and we've just got to get them in front of people you know? that,
1: that that's the nicest white I've had this year I, yeah. I would say hands down um, it's just so nicely balanced it is you know it's just all the flavors it's not just it's not too sharp it's not too sweet um it's just it's just got a really nice sort of feel to it
0: now I'll talk a little bit about the red whilst we're whilst we're on topic because um, it's a, it, it is a really good good Ooh, sorry, example. I'm going to try of, a little bit more Queensland to make,
1: make sure I, I am Just know, to confirm, across
0: confirm it. your <laughs> suspicions. This is Girrawheen. laughing at Julie. This is Girrawheen Estate uh, 2013 Cabernet Sauvignon. Now as I said these are this is quite old plantings 1974 plantings um, which by Queensland standards it's quite old. Um, and this is this is right down the very bottom of the Granite Belt in the Girouin National Park. Um, Be-
1: beautiful, beautiful food and wine area.
0: Yeah, and you get in this wine, and I think this is Girouin's best wine, by the way. The Cabernet for me is right at the top of the pops. Lovely sort of mint and cocoa and black currants on the nose. On the palate, you get these lovely sort of Blackberry plum, no, it's a little bit of chocolate, but it's it's medium bodied. Uh, again, 830 meters above sea level, you're, oh. you're never going to make big, dense, heavy Cabernet like say Coonawarra or yeah. Margaret River. Um, but for me, this wine, it's got great structure. It's got everything it needs to have. It's varietal Cabernet Sauvignon, and it's a bloody pleasant drink.
1: Yeah, this is um, like you could smash a bottle of this pretty easily. I think agreed. You know, um. Like this would be the sort of thing if I was having a steak for dinner, it the bottle would disappear, you know, just over dinner, mm-hmm. quite quite easily. Uh, Absolutely. It, 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 like you said, it doesn't have that big heavy weight where you feel like every mouthful sort of dropping into your into your stomach. Work, yeah, hard work. Mm. Um, I wouldn't have thought Girowin makes too many cheap commercial wines though from from my like i haven't been out there since the kids have been born but we used to go out there quite often
0: no steve a- and it's a, it seems to
1: be a lot of very small operations with a bit of innovation in them
0: the viognier the viognier fruit in this wine that you tried prior to the Girouin came not too far away from mason vineyard um the Girouin. steve does sauvignon blanc chardonnay A Reserve Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, Shiraz, Reserve Shiraz, Reserve Cabernet. And the other thing that he does incredibly well is sparkling. He does a sparkling uh, Brut, which I'm showing tomorrow night at Claret House in the Queensland Showcase. And he does a sparkling Rosé, and they are phenomenal. Um, Yeah, right. Robert Shannon helps him with making the wines, um, with the the sparklings, because he's got a lot of experience with his uh, Singing Lake um, range. And they are they are very small batch. You know, I mean, uh, we're talking sort of a couple of hundred, you know, cases. Um, and so primarily they're sold out of cellar door only. And I've got access to all the table wines um, here, in, here in Brisbane. And for me, I just think that is really, really good varietal cabernet. If somebody walked into a restaurant and ordered a glass of that, as you said, with a steak or something, they're going to be really pleased. So,
1: and um, that's what I wondered, is that, if we don't make heaps and heaps of wine, is it just that there's not hundreds and hundreds of bottles of the good stuff out there in the marketplace? Like, you know, if we're producing 5%, like, you know, if you take Dan Murphy's, how many good Queensland wines would be on the shelves of Dan Murphy's? Very few. Like, just just by... Not, not through lack of trying, just because it's easier to get lots of different wines out of those bigger regions.
0: And, I mean, the thing with Dan Murphy's, a lot of people don't realise is that you have to produce a certain amount of cases to supply... Yeah, they're not interested in 20 cases. No, they're not interested in a winery that only produces 2,000 cases like these guys. Yeah. No way, because they can't do it national. And that's what they want, national. You know, even a wine like Penny's Hill Cabernet, Penny's Hill Edward Road Cabernet out of uh, South Australia, won Best Cabernet in Australia... And that was a a 2,500 case production, not enough for Dan Murphy's. These are 2,500 bottles. Yeah. That's even a tenth. That's a tenth of the Penny's Hill range.
1: So just to get um, technical for a moment, are both of these available on Fat Grape? Yes. Yeah. So if you're interested in Queensland wines, go to fatgrape.com.au and have a look at these. Particularly, go and have a look at the white, and I'll link at this in the show note because it's a little bit different from yes. some of the other whites I've had. So if you're like me and you don't normally drink white and you normally like a red, go and have a look at it because, like, how much would that sell for on Fat Grape normally?
0: $25. $25.
1: So you're not, you're not talking a hugely expensive mm. wine. Um, you know, lots of people have dropped 20 bucks at, mm. at Dan's on a weekend quite easily. Um, it's actually interesting. I've been going to a few different bottle shops lately and having a look and dan's really do sell quite a bit cheaper they seem to try and corner that market don't they they do like Um. even some of the other chains like the bws like the i was looking at a couple of different ones that i like you know i'm starting to get a little collection of even of the, the 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 cheaper ones that i like and the price difference and you can see how they're just trying to corner
0: And the weird thing is here is BWS that you mentioned and Dan's are the same company.
1: Mm, yeah. But the
0: problem is is Dan's has got the buying power and the volume.
1: Mm. I'll
0: give you an example.
1: I I think the thing with BWS is is they're outside every
0: wars. Correct, which is where they tried to, and same as Liquorland with Coles, they're outside the shops. And that's because in the old days, and Victoria still has some, so does Sydney, Mm you remember going into i, I call it safeways because i'm from melbourne but you know going to woolies and there was a liquor department within the so but there
1: still is in new south wales Yeah. every time um, i go away been... for for touch footy trips and you go to coffs and you 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 know you go to woolworths to buy your milk and your cornflakes <laughs> and then you it's 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 literally inside the yeah. Woolworths, well, like it's through a door, but it's the same same
0: dep- same mm. building, you know. But that 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 got phased out in Queensland, and to a certain point in Victoria, it's been phased out, and so that's why you've got a liquor land outside every Coles and the BWS like, outside every Woolies. Um, you know, Echuca where my dad lives, a small town of about twenty thousand people, uh, Safeways oh, it's now Woolies, had a, had a liquor department within the store. Yeah. Now, over the road, there's an even bigger car park which had like an auto barn and a Crazy Clark's and all that sort of thing in it. Crazy Clark's went under. And so Woolies bought a Crazy Clark's shop, which was huge, Yeah. and stuck a Dan Murphy's in there and then shut down the liquor department within Woolworths because yeah, it push, couldn't... push push them across the road. Couldn't compete with its own brand over the road. There was no point.
1: One of the favourite things I had when I went to New Zealand was... Well, there's two things. The first one was... They don't, have a, they don't have a department, they have an aisle. Correct. So you just go through and you do your shopping and you pick your beer up. And now maybe it was just my, my thing, but they seem to have a lot, at least some of New Zealand seems to have a lot better relationship with alcohol. They, they, uh, they had a lot of interesting wines and beers on the shelves in sort of small batches, you know, bo- you know, get a bottle of wine with with your shopping for dinner sort of yep. attitude seemed to be that, you know, not like there wasn't sort of big displays encouraging you to buy lots of cheap beer or lots of cheap wine. Buy
0: one bottle of this and you get three bottles yeah, of yeah. that for 40 bucks sort
1: of thing. It, w- it was sort of like do your shopping <laughs> and, you know, buy your steak and whatever and, hey, if you're buying salmon, this is what you should be drinking with your salmon. Yeah. But that, their, um, what I loved about New Zealand was their craft... I called it sort of mid-level craft beer. So it wasn't like uh, your James Squires yep. of here. It was slightly more expensive than your 4 or your VBs, but lo- like 15 or 16 different interesting types of beer. So we'd buy a six-pack every two days between Vanessa and I, and I was like in the two weeks we were in New Zealand, I didn't have to buy the same beer twice. yep. For in that cheaper range, and I just thought that is just it just blew my mind when I was there. Yeah. Uh, um.
0: Part of the problem with Queensland is the liquor licensing laws. Um yeah. To have a bottle shop, you have to have a commercial hotel license, which yeah. means you have to be attached to a hotel unless you can afford to buy a commercial hotel license, which is pretty damn rare. Mm. So unfortunately, that's played right into the hands of Coles and Woolworths because they have they have gone and bought all the pubs.
1: So what do um, uh, is it craft? Yep. In Ashgrove, what do they do?
0: They're attached to the Pineapple Hotel. Are oh, you kidding me? No.
1: Nope. See, that's insane.
0: Dun, 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 dun.
1: That that is like that is literally insane. Like you, like again, I I like I used to run live music venues, so I bashed up my head against liquor licensing quite a bit over my time. They have quite a bit of my money over the years. <laughs> um, but i used to say to them like isn't the goal essentially harm minimization yeah so a place like craft is essentially saying to people enjoy your alcohol in moderation like enjoy it for the flavor and the and the fact of drinking nice things rather than enjoy the fact that you can get
0: inebriated
1: 30 cans for 20 dollars and smash yourself and the flavor doesn't matter like, I would have thought that's minimising the impact of alcohol, turning it into not a commodity, basically. Yeah. Um, but I did not know that they were that, that they were attached to the Pineapple Hotel. I guess the, that they, it makes sense. They have to how, be. Th- I mean, they
0: have to be. Yeah. That's how it works. I mean, and that's the problem with Queensland is we've had, you know, we've, 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 we've literally played right into the hands of these two big companies yeah. by, by, by Ma- creating an impossible. this way. You know, you can't just, you know, I mean, okay, if we win $25 million tomorrow night in Powerball, we can go and buy a bottle shop and, you know, we can go and start a bottle shop and buy a commercial hotel license, but we we'll will be one of the few yeah. that can afford to do that. Um, you know, otherwise you've got to be attached to, you know, It's why it's an well, off-license.
1: And, and the fact that, like, if you wanted to run... Like a commercial hotel license is overkill if you just want to run a little bottle. shop. Exactly. And yeah.
0: this is, this is how we've done it. And so of course Coles and Woolies have come in and bought a lot of the pubs. Yeah. A lot of the pubs have been bought up by them, which means that lets them go, okay, that's becoming a BWS. Now that's becoming yeah. a, a, a liquor land. Now that's becoming one of these now. Uh, and that's, that... and because you're now part of our group, you have to go with our core range, mm. which means we've gone and bought all this bulk wine from around Australia at a great price. And you have to sell it now. You don't get any decision in the. You know, if you're the bottle shop manager, you've got no say. You've got to go through core ranging. You've got to. You've got to carry this, 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 yeah. this and that. They're using their. Commercial and then all of a sudden, you know, these little guys, guys like you know, the wines I'm showing you tonight, we can't get a look in there. We can't even go in and say, "Hey, try my cabernet. It's beautiful." Yeah. Doesn't matter how beautiful it is, unless it's in their core range, they can't buy it. They can't order it.
1: Um, and for someone like me that lives in Ben Lee, or. Well, Upper Beanley, or as I like to say, lower tambourine, as my wife likes to say. Yep. Um, like, Dan's literally is the best option I have in terms of... Uh, Four
0: pubs in hard uh,
1: oh, Look, I haven't been to a pub in Beanley, to be honest. But like, yeah, I
0: mean, in the old days, there was, I think there was two or three pubs in Beanley, and they're all independent. Now, of course, they've all been bought you out. Yeah, but
1: the, there's the, the standard range of bottle shops. So, you know, there's BWS or... Yeah. Uh, and the range in those shops is pretty poor. It's limited. And, and the price isn't that good. At least if I go to Dan's, there's something interesting and the price is good. Now, if I had uh, a, a small bottle shop like Craft in Bean Lee and I got, like, I'm the sort of guy that will go in and talk all the time and get to think, that relationship would probably make me drink less wine but better wine. Yeah. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Of
0: course. Because you'd go in and say, I want something really interesting tonight. And, you know, the guy there, like Tony well, at Craft, he'll point you in the right direction. Yeah, or I say, He'll introduce I'll, you to something you've never tried before. And you'll sit down and you'll drink it for the enjoyment. Yeah. You know, to, to, to see what sort of layer upon layer little nuances come out of the glass. And that could be with craft beer or with a good spirit or with a great bottle of wine.
1: Like, like I'll buy a couple of these off you hmm. and I'll stick them away for, you know, when I've got someone around and we're having a nice yeah. dinner. But, you know, it'd be good to be able to go into someone and say, hey, I really like that, and I really like this red. What else do you... If I like these two, what else do you think exactly. I'll you, like?
0: You, you, if you went in and said to, um, you know, Neil at Malt Traders in the Emporium, you said, hey, mate, look, I, I really like Buffalo Trace and Blanton's and Eagle Rare. Yeah. And granted, they all come out of the same distillery. Um, what? But I want to try something different tonight. He'll say, okay, mate, well, you know, first of all, how much do you want to spend? Yeah. And then try Jefferson's or, or try this. Uh, you know, and he'll give you a bit of a, a, bit of a, a few choices that are going to be in that same sort of flavour profile that you've described yeah. by telling him your favourites. And, you know, of course, within that price range you've given him and you're going to go home with something in your hand that you've not had before, kind of excited to try it. And then you'll, you'll try it for the enjoyment of it and, and, you know, you'll keep going back to it to see what else it reveals.
1: Like I always... Um and it's that, that spread the word thing. Like I always talk about that uh, Bleasdale mulberry tree. Yep. Like that is my it's the one wine I've got in my head uh, that I know I like. Yep. And if I see it, I sort of like, it's sort of like yeah. a, it's a trigger. I walk past it and see that, that label and go, Ooh, haven't bought a bottle of that for that's a while. Your,
0: that's your go-to.
1: Yeah. It's, 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 I don't know. It's just, it's just a real, the, the balance of the wine is, and I imagine it would probably, cha- would it change much from year to year?
0: A little, not a great deal, but vintage condition will always play a part in, mm. the, in the wine structure. See, um,
1: like, whiskey, which is my other thing that I like, but don't get to drink much of, like, good stuff, which I drink straight or with a little tiny bit of ice. It, well, in my estimation, it doesn't change that, no. that much over time, like,
0: And because I guess you're making a a drink there to a recipe, Mm. wine is different. And the conditions matter a lot more with wine. And and with wine, with whiskey, you're always going to use the same water source. Yeah, that's right. You're always going to get peat from the same area. You're not going to change it because if you do, the consumer will notice. You change the water supply in beer or whiskey you will upset a ton of people because they're used to it being a particular way. Aye, yeah. and, but with wine, you can't do that. Because if we have an yeah, the, the incredibly
1: water, cold vintage... The, the water content comes from the grape, not from the water. Yeah,
0: exactly. And the water doesn't really play too much of a part here um, unless you overwater the vine. But you know, if we have an incredibly wet, cold vintage like 2011 in the Barossa, mm. you know there is nothing you can do to try and make that wine look like the previous year because yeah. it won't let you. The fruit won't get as ripe. You're going to be fighting things like powdery mildew and botrytis and disease pressure. And in the end, you're probably going to chuck your hands up in the air and say, I oh, give up, God, you've won, mm. and, uh, and just scrap the whole damn thing.
1: But I guess a little bit of that is built into wine because you don't. when you buy a bottle of scotch, it doesn't say 2008 no. or 2007. It just says the name of the scotch, whereas it's built into wine. You know, you're buying a 2013, you're buying a 2010. And I guess the people that know a little bit about wine, and that, like, you know, you would go into a shop and go, and if you saw a 2002 Chardonnay and you go, oh, that year was very cold, then it comes from this region, it's probably going to be a good wine. Mm. Would you have that sort of knowledge just off the top of your head? Yep. Yeah. I mean,
0: I went into a bottle shop the other day and saw someone had some 2011 Tarawara reserve Chardonnay from the Yarra and I knew that was a cold vintage and I went, oh, I want to buy that just just to put it down for a bit longer Yeah, because that wine in a few more years is just going to come to life. You know, right now it might not be so great but I know the acid will be really, really lively and that, that is just going to be a gorgeous, gorgeous Chardonnay. But I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time researching, you know, vintage reports and, yeah. you know, reading. Yeah, that's and, what and you're, and you're
1: right at the pointy end. Curating,
0: curating this knowledge. You know, somebody said to me, oh, Stace, I've got some 93 Bordeaux. What should I do with it? I'll uh, tip it down the sink. 93 was a terrible year in Bordeaux and uh, it's 23 years old now. It's definitely going to be nothing but vinegar. Yeah. You know, toss that. Um.
1: Well, I think we had a bottle of Bordeaux that we left too long and it wasn't that flash that no, we'd been given be. for a present. So.
0: But at least you didn't pay for it.
1: No, that's right. <laughs> hey, we should wind it up. Um, can people, if they go to Fat Grape, mm-hmm. is there anywhere particularly that they can look for Queensland wines?
0: Um on the on the website, no, just go in and you'll be, you'll see the whole product range there. Yeah. Of course, they can search, you know, Giraween or Terra de Granito, and it'll take them to the to those to those labels. Um, and of course, you know, I'd encourage everybody. Uh, especially from Queensland, go down to the Granite Belt. It's a fantastic yeah. place to go yeah. for a holiday, and, and, and it's, it's really not just wine. It's a whole epicurean. Yeah, they're, they're, food.
1: S- they're set up for for tourists now. They are.
0: It is so good. You know, go and have lunch at Vincenzo's, and go to Sutton's Apple Farm and have the apple pie and spiced cider ice cream. Go out to the Bramble Patch. Go and visit the wineries. Go to the you know the the chili farm uh, the olive farms, and you know it is a real epicurean. Uh, destination um, and you'll probably come back with a full boot a heap of wine subscriptions and a bunch of stuff condiments for the pantry but you know what you'll, you'll never regret it it's yeah. a great place to visit um, and uh, I'd encourage everyone to do it at least once all
1: right thanks for coming back in mate always good to talk to you I answered about 50,000 more questions so I'm mm-hmm. pretty happy thanks mate see ya